So uh, you better get used to looking at this for four weeks. You're not going to get the jacket and tie for four weeks, but we'll see what I'm looking at here. I am excited about the next four weeks. And I'm going to real, real quick synopsis is I believe God's building a people for the greatest adventure of our church's life. And, uh, and I want to talk to you about what, is the, what are the elements of a, of a life that God uses. What does he have to build in and pour into us so that God can use us to build his kingdom, to be a part in his redemption process where, where life transformation happens in people, but it really happens through us, where God uses us. For the, so for the next four weeks, I want to talk about that. This, this week, I want to talk about who God made you to be, who you are. I want you to come to grips with what God says about you, about how he, what he created you to be, who he created when he thought about you. And the truth is, my words are not going to change your heart, uh, but, but God's Spirit can. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me right now. We're going to pray, because i got no shot unless God shows up. And, and you allow Him, you yield your heart to Him as, as you embrace the truth. Because I'm going to speak the truth, and His Spirit's going to plant it in your heart. you just got to be willing to accept it. Does that sound all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you, as a, as a symbol of you just kind of being willing to open your heart to God's truth this morning, that you put your hand on your heart as we pray. If you don't want to, that's okay. You don't trust me, that's fine. But if you want to ask God to kind of just have your way with your heart this morning, you can put your hand on your heart, and I'm just going to pray for us, okay? So let's pray. So Father in heaven, we give you access to our hearts this morning. We want you to speak to us, speak to us about who we are, about who you created us to be. Because we want to leave this morning changed. We want to leave this morning believing what you say about us. We want to believe that we're who you create us to be. Not what we think, not what people tell us, but what you and your word say about who we are and who you created us to be. That's our desire. That's our purpose. So our hearts are open to your truth. We say, have your way. Speak to us this morning. We, we want you to change us for your sake and for ours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, I don't know about you. I have, some, I have some events in my history where I can remember every single detail. You know, the, the birth of my daughter is one of those events. I remember everything it was like, like it was yesterday. And that is, that's considerable because I cannot remember what I had for dinner last night, right? But I can remember the events of 22 years ago, like every detail. Monday night, I was actually teaching in a Bible study. It was Living Circle. It was a predecessor to our sanctuary service. And my usual routine was to go out with some guys afterwards and solve their girl problems, and then I'd head home. But on this night, knowing I had a very pregnant wife at home, I, just, I, I finished teaching. I said, hey, I'm going home. I'm going to check on, check on the wife, you know. That's, that's cool talk for young guys, right? Anyhow, so I go, I, I go home, and, uh, and I find my wife sitting on the kitchen floor, sitting on the kitchen floor, kind of in her pajamas. And I'm like, and she looks up, like, real quiet, real gentle, and she says, we're having a baby you know? And I was like, yeah, I know. This is great. I can't wait. This is going to be good. She's like, no, no, no. We're having a baby like now. Like, you got to get me to the hospital now. And I realized she was sitting on a pillow because she was afraid we were going to have a baby in our kitchen. So I, I throw her in the car. We race up to St. V's, pull into the emergency uh, uh, room parking lot. Thankfully, there is a there's a uh, wheelchair right there in the parking lot. I throw her in it. I go racing in and I announce my wife's having a baby, you know? They could not have been less impressed. They, were, they could not have been less concerned. I'm not kidding you. Without looking up, the first nurse says, uh, did you call your doctor? 
And I was like, no, no, no time for that. It's showtime. It's just here, right? The second staff person says, is this your first one? And I was like, what's that? I was like, yes. Like, what does that got to do with anything? Can't they see? No joke. They both roll their eyes. First one gets up and says, just stay there, big boy. You're probably going to be going home in a few minutes. So they take my wife and roll her away, and I'm like thinking, who are these people, right? What? To my satisfaction, the nurse comes back kind of deer in the headlights, and she's like, your wife, she's 12 centimeters. We're going to get upstairs right away. And I was like, I told you. I told you. What do you think I don't know about this stuff, right? So I'm running out to my car. all excited that I was right, and they, you know, I wasn't the idiot they thought I was. At least I thought that. So I ran out to my car. Parked it, grabbed my snacks and my Diet Coke, and went up to the maternity ward, right? All excited. So then I kick into supportive husband role, right? All the guys know what I'm talking about. I, I, I'm there at the end of the bed, and I'm helping my wife breathe, right? <laughs> Who breathes like that, by the way? I don't really get this, right? So I'm helping her breathe. I'm, I'm, um, I'm looking at the screen above her bed. It's, it's monitoring the strength of her contractions, it's a pain meter, right? And I'm watching these big numbers, and I'm looking at her going, yeah, you're doing great. And I'm inside, I'm cringing like, oh, gosh. Because they're just, it's like spiking. And I'm like, oh, you're doing good, honey, you know. And about an hour later, actually, so I'm kind of doing this, and I'm, I'm really good at this, I realize, you know. And uh, I'm thinking, I'm into this. This is, this is great. This is fun, you know. Margie doesn't remember it that way, Right. <laughs> So but in, it was less than an hour, and my daughter, Kate, is being born. And I'll tell you what, it was surreal. It was surreal because when she came out, I'm right there, I could not believe how big she was. I could not believe this huge child was inside my wife, right? I, and I know, I, I read all the books, right? I did all the classes, right? Saw the videos. But somehow, at the end of the bed, I was kind of expecting like a Barbie doll, Right? <laughs> And out came this huge child, and no joke, doctor delivers her, boom, puts her right in my arms like this. And I'm like, you talk about shock and awe. I had it right there at the end of the bed. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Margie, you have to see this. She's not interested yet, right? And as quickly as they put her in my arms, they took her away. And they took her away, and they started to clean her up and go through their procedure, whatever they do. And again, it was just a minute or two later, and then they take my daughter, Kate, and right at the end of the bed, they put her kind of in this tray, like this cart. It's right at the end of the bed. She's right there. And they go to attend to Margie and go through their checklist. And so here's my daughter just kind of looking around. She's kind of quiet. She's checking out her new digs, right? And I'm thinking, this is my chance. This is Dad's chance to have his first conversation with his newborn daughter. So I lean in real close, and I was like, hey, little girl, it's your dad, you know. I said, do you realize how loved you are? Do you realize how we've planned for this day? Do you, do you realize how we've planned and dreamt about this very day? Do you know what we would do for you? And I'll tell you what I remember. I remember being absolutely overwhelmed with love for this little kid. And I realized at that moment, she didn't know who I was. She didn't know my name. She didn't, didn't have a clue who I was. It didn't change a thing about a father's love for his newborn child. And I, I remember thinking that, uh, you know, here's this girl. She doesn't know my name, doesn't know who I was, but 
There's a father standing over her who would lay down his life for her in a heartbeat, not think twice about it. A father who was standing over her who wanted to hold her and provide for her and love her that would sacrifice anything for her sake. You know why? It's a father's love for a child. You know, what father, you know what Jesus' favorite title for God is? Do you realize what it is? It's Father. It hit me afresh after my first daughter was born. Jesus' favorite title for God is Father. Your Father in Heaven. That's what He loved to call God. In fact, 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Heavenly Father, or Your Father in Heaven to the crowds who are around Him and speaking about God. 16 times in three chapters. You know why? Because Jesus wanted to drive home the truth that the God in heaven is first and foremost a father. He's a father and we're his children. It was, way too, it was way too intimate, way too personal a reference for most people to actually understand or grasp. They couldn't believe it. But that's the picture that Jesus wanted to paint. That God in heaven is first and foremost a father. But it wasn't only Jesus. It actually, throughout the New Testament, every writer of the New Testament refers to God as Heavenly Father or your Father in Heaven. And just in case you don't believe me, I'm going to give you a real quick sampling. The Apostle Paul, all throughout his letters, he writes this. In Ephesians, he says, we're adopted sons and daughters. We're adopted by God the Father. That we pray and we cry out to who? To Abba, Father, our Father in Heaven. That through Christ we're no longer slaves, but we're children. We're children of God the Father. Peter writes and tells us that we have been chosen. We have been chosen by God the Father himself, is what Peter says. James reminds us that God our Father looks down and evaluate, evaluates our religion. And he says, true religion. I define true religion as when you take care of widows and orphans. That's what James reminds us. The writer of Hebrews says that God, he teaches us and disciplines us as his sons. And it proves that we're legitimate children. Legitimate children of God our Father. Jude writes, and he reminds us that we have a Father in Heaven who loves us. He says, God the Father loves us. And then the Apostle John, in 1 John 3, he writes this famous verse, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. You know what John's saying? He's saying, this is too good to be true, but it's true. That God loves us as His children. But that is what we are. He's God. He's our Father. And we're his children. Too good to be true, but true. That's what John is saying in 1 John 3. And I believe this is actually where many of us are. Where we know God's our Father. We know it. We know it. But in our hearts, it's too good to be true. I'm not sure we're convinced. I'm not sure we believe it. I'm not sure we think it's true for us. We know it's true because it's in Scripture. We know it's true because Jesus talks about it all the time. We know it's true because the entire New Testament points to God as our Father. But the test is not what you know, it's what you believe. And I'm not sure you and I believe that we're adopted sons and daughters of God, our Father. And that's a problem. Because we've got to get this one right. If God's going to use us in any way, shape, or form, this is like the core of the core. You have to understand that God is our Father in heaven, that we have been adopted as His children. Because believing you're an adopted child of God actually determines everything about your relationship to God. Everything. Knowing it's true in your head and believing it's true in your heart are two different truths altogether.
And the truth is, I want to I want to test and see what our heart believes, not what we know, because I know you know the right answer. I know you know the truth. I'm just not sure we all believe it to be true for us. In fact, you can see it in the two basic ways that people relate to God. There are two basic ways people relate to God. Everyone relates to God in one way or the other. You fit somewhere on the spectrum. I'm going to describe them to you. And here's the deal. They look very similar, but they could not be more different. Again, it determines everything about your relationship to God. Let me describe the two ways. Again, this, you just assess kind of where you're at. We'll, we'll, we'll tease it out a little bit, but you just assess where your heart's at, what you believe, not what you know. Get around your head to what you believe in your heart. So two approaches. One is a religious approach. It's a, it's a religious approach, and then the other is a biblical approach. Again, they look close. They look similar. From the outside, you might not tell the difference. But they could not be more different. The religious approach is based on a business model. It's really ba- based on an exchange of goods and services. It's based on what I have for you, what I can do for you, what I can offer you, what we can do for each other. It's what we do for one another. That's the religious approach. The biblical approach, the Christian approach, is built on a family model. It is based on who I am to you, who we are to one another, how we relate to one another. One is what we can do for each other. The other is who we are to one another. The business model, this religious approach, is based on performance. It's based on performing duties, performing services for one another. The family approach, the biblical approach, is based on relationship. It's a commitment in a relationship because we, we're related to one another. One's commitment, one's performance. The business model tends to be conditional. It's based on this principle. If you perform, you'll be accepted. If you perform, you'll be accepted. That's the business model. The family model, the biblical model is, since you're accepted, you perform. Since you're accepted already, out of love, knowing that to be true, you perform. These two models represent two ways we approach God. Everybody approaches God one way or the other but they could not be more different. I love the way Tim Keller of Redeemer Church puts it. He actually uses a different analogy to describe these very two same approaches. Keller paints this picture. He says this. He says, there's two ways to live in someone's house. You can be a boarder, or you can live in the house, live in the home of your parents. A boarder, or live with your parents. If you're a boarder, the rules are clear. The rules, there are rules you must obey if you want to continue living where you are. The rules, simple as they are, the rules for a boarder are you pay the rent and you respect the property. So the landlord, he has rules too, right? If you're a landlord, there's rules. It's you maintain the property. You provide the services that the rent pays for, like heat, light, electricity. Those are the rules. Those are the rules between a boarder and a landlord. The simple, simple rules, simple expectations. They clearly operate under the business model. They operate under if you perform... You'll be accepted. This is a relationship of a boarder and a landlord. Or you can live in the home of your parents, where the rules, the rules uh, are clear, but they're unstated normally. You know what they are? We love each other. We serve each other. We accept one another. We look out for each other. We're motivated and compelled by love to treat each other properly. Those are, those are the rules in a family. The principle is this, you're accepted, so no need to perform, but since you're accepted, 
you perform out of love. You perform. The law is love. The rule is we love each other. So that's why we do what we do for one another. Two different relationships based on two different models. Again, two different approaches to God. A border or a child. So the question this morning for you and me is a simple one, really. Which one are you? Where do you see yourself? Where do you fit? How do you relate to God? How do you approach God? Are you more of a border approaching your landlord? Or are you more of a son approaching your father? And again, here's the problem. I know you know the right answer. I know you know it. So we have to get around your head to kind of reveal your heart. Because every single person in here would say, oh yeah, I'm a son. He's my father. I'm a daughter. He's my father. I'm no border. So let's test, let's test what your heart says. You know what the best test to reveal what your heart really believes about if God's your father and you're a son or daughter? Best test is unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. What happens when your prayers go unanswered? How you respond to unanswered prayer reveals your heart. It reveals what you really believe about God, your father. It really reveals whether you're a boarder or you're a son or a daughter. How you respond to unanswered prayer is the test that will show you real clearly, am I a boarder or am I a son? Because here's what happens. If you're a boarder, if you relate to God on a performance basis and your prayers go unanswered, you know what happens? You get angry, you get frustrated, and you get disappointed with God. Or you become anxious and guilty. So you get angry if you're a boarder. You get angry when your prayers go unanswered because you feel God is not coming through for you, like he's letting you down. And your thinking is, hey, I'm doing all the right things. After all I've done for you, I've been busy serving, I've been obedient, I've been trying real hard, and my prayers aren't working. That's what a boarder says. Why, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why is this going on? All the why questions come out when you're a boarder. Because you're disappointed because God's not holding up his end of the bargain. Why, God? Because I've been paying the rent. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I'm serving. I'm trying to do good. You know what happens? It reveals you're a boarder. You get angry because you've been paying the rent and God's not blessing you. You should be blessed. But somehow it seems your prayers aren't working. So what happens is you, you let circumstances breed doubt about God's care for you. On whether or not he has your best interest at heart at all. If he's paying attention to your life, you begin to doubt and and you become angry and disappointed when it's not going well because you remind yourself, gosh, I'm doing all the right things. I've been as consistent as I can be. What is wrong with this picture? That's what a boarder would ask. Your doubt and disappointment and your why God questions, you know what happens? Reveals you're a boarder. The truth is, you don't believe in your heart the truth that you know in your head that God's a good father and you're an adopted son or daughter. You just haven't, you just don't believe it yet. Your, your, your response to unanswered prayer reveals your border thinking or you become anxious or guilty. Here's why, because some of us become anxious or guilty because you go, I know I haven't been doing enough. I know I haven't been performing. I know I've been slacking. I haven't been praying enough or reading my Bible enough or serving enough. I know. So So, of course, God's not going to pay attention to me or listen to me or answer my prayer or come through for me. I haven't been paying the rent. So, therefore, I don't deserve anything. And your self-talk is, I know I should do more. I know I should. I'm not really a very good Christian. Gosh, God God must be disappointed with me. God must be angry with me. No wonder my prayers never get answered. 
your anxiety and your guilt reveal that you do not believe what your head knows. It reveals you're a border, not a son, not a daughter. And I'm telling you, we have to get this right. The truth has to invade your heart or else you're not going to see God move in you and through you like I know you desire, like I know you want. Either way, you're a border, anxious or angry. You're a border. So when your prayers go unanswered and you become angry or anxious, it reveals your heart, even when you know it in your head. It reveals that you don't believe the truth about you, that God is your father, that you've been adopted son or daughter, that he's always for you, that he, he would do anything for you. He will withhold nothing. He always has your best interest at heart. That's the truth. You and I just need to start believing it in our heart. See, because when you believe you're a son or a daughter, when you actually believe that God's your father, when you know it, and it's, it's, it's here, not here, your response to unanswered prayer is way different than a border. See, a son or daughter knows that the father's always acting in their best interest. He always is, has their back. He's always for them. And they remain full of gratitude, knowing that the father is always acting on their behalf. They're confident that nothing is being withheld because their performance is up to par. They realize that, you know, life is difficult. And circumstances are challenging, and life is hard, and terrible things happen, yet it has nothing to do with my relationship with my father. That's how a son thinks. That's how a daughter thinks. They have no reason to be angry, no reason to be anxious. You know what it is? They're, they're confident. They remain secure. They remain patient when God hasn't answered a prayer yet. You know why? Because a son thinks, well, you know what? My father knows and understands timing better than I do anyway. So I'll just rest in the truth that my God is, my Father is for me. He's always acting in my best interest. There's nothing He wouldn't do for me. That's how a son thinks. So how you doing? What, are our, what does our little test reveal about your heart? If you're like many of us, you know what? You realize you know something in your head that you're not convinced in your heart yet. You want it to be true. You know it's true because it's in Scripture, but you're just not sure it's true for you. Your heart reveals you and I oftentimes think like a border rather than a son, rather than a daughter. So the best test to reveal your heart is unanswered prayer. There's a second test. You know what it is? It's almost as good. It's answered prayer. Answered prayer is probably the second best test to reveal if, you, if you're a border or if you're a son or daughter. See, when a, a border has a prayer answered, you know what they think? Of course they did. I've been paying the rent. I've been doing all the right things. I'm praying a lot. I'm reading my Bible. I'm serving at church. Things are good. I'm doing everything. So, of course, God's listening to me. Of course, God's acting on my behalf. I deserve it. I'm entitled. I've been paying the rent. That's what a boarder thinks. A son responds to answered prayer with, thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Man, you are good. You are better than I know. I'm so thankful to have you as a father. I'm so blessed to, have, to be one of your sons, one of your daughters. See, a child expects God to answer his prayers. He expects it. He knows he's good. He ex he's expectant but not entitled. And so he's thankful and grateful. He knows that God's favor, though, is not based on performance. It's based on a relationship. It's based on a father-son or a father-daughter relationship because the father loves me. That's what a son knows. That's what a daughter knows. A son knows it's too good to be true, but it is true. It's true because that's the kind of father I have. It's the blessing of being a father. It's the favor of being a son that God answers my prayer when I don't deserve it. That's how a son or daughter thinks. So I'll ask you once again, where are you? 
What is the response to your prayer, answered or unanswered? What does it reveal about your heart? What does it reveal about what you believe? Not what you know. I know you know the right stuff. I know that. But it's not about what you know. It's about what you believe. You and I have to be rock solid and believe that God is for us. He is always acting on our behalf. He is our Father. You are an adopted son or daughter. His blessing and favor towards you is not based on your performance. It's based on this relationship that He's chosen to have with you. I'll remind you that we have a Father in Heaven who stands over you and me and says, Do you have any idea how loved you are? Do you realize how I have planned and longed for this day? Do you realize what I'm willing to do for you? See, the truth about our God, our Father in Heaven, is that He stands over you and He and me and He says, You may not even know who I am. You might not know my name. But I know yours. Because I called you by name. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I'm the one who who planned out every day of your life before one of them came to be. I know you. I see you. I'm for you. You're my choice. I've adopted you as a son or daughter, and I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't behave yourself into it or out of it because I'm your father. You're my child, and I love you. That's the way it is. Jesus is the one who said, that's the kind of father you have in heaven. The one who would hold nothing back for you. Who's done everything for you to convince you of the father's love towards you. He's the one who said, your father in heaven will make any sacrifice. He will sacrifice his very own son to purchase you. To redeem you, to restore you to right relationship with your father. Jesus says, that's the kind of father you would have in heaven. He's going to send me to restore you, a lost son or a lost daughter, in relationship with our Father. And that's exactly what he did. In fact, we're going to celebrate it right now. There used to be a table over here. I referred to the table. It's like, we're going to take communion right now. You know why? Because the, the ultimate proof, the ultimate demonstration of the Father's love for you and me is Christ crucified. It was God did not with his, hold his Son to prove to you that he loves you, that there's nothing he'd withhold. So he sent his son to die on a cross, shed his blood for you and me. That's the proof. You and I need no other proof than Christ going to the cross on your behalf and my behalf. Jesus shedding his blood. What other proof do you need? That's what Romans 8 says. It says, hey, if God didn't withhold his son, is there any good thing he'd withhold from you? And the answer, of course, is no. Hey, friends, we have a father in heaven who loves us who would sacrifice everything and anything, and he did, his own son, to restore us into right relationship with our Father. You and I just need to believe it now. We know it. We just need to believe it. We're going to celebrate it right now. In fact, I'm going to ask you to bow your head just for a moment before the men and women come forward to serve because you might need a moment to let this truth absorb into your heart, to bypass what you know in your head and say, God, man, Increase my faith to believe this is true in my heart. I know it's true. I want to believe it. That I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You're my father in heaven. You've done everything. You've done everything for me. You've adopted me. You've proved your love for me by sacrificing the son for me on my behalf. And I know you did it willingly and eagerly to redeem me and restore me back to right relationship with you, the father. I want you to be convinced of the Father's love for you, convinced in your heart. Because this is the demonstration of a Father's love for 
his child. That's you. So, Father, we celebrate the table right now. We thank you for your sacrifice, ultimate demonstration of the Father's love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to go into the cross for us. We are grateful sons and daughters of the King, of the Father, brothers of Jesus, the Messiah. And we're just so grateful for what you've done for us. Forgive us for ever doubting, for ever wondering of your love for us or of your desire for us or if you're acting in our best interest. Forgive us for that doubt. Because this table represents there is there's no reason to doubt. You've proven it already. It's been established because of Jesus' death on the cross. We thank you for it now. So scripture records that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we remember your broken body. We're going to take this bread. It just reminds us of your sacrifice, your broken body. Thank you, son, for being our sacrifice and being nailed to a cross so our sins could be forgiven and we could be redeemed and put in right relationship with the Father. Thank you for your sacrifice. We remember it now as we take the bread. Amen.